What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, we are coming at the people with a second straight positive episode. It's like old times again. Oh, winning streak. 2-0. 2-0 in this home winning streak. One more game to go. You were there over the weekend. I'm so excited to hear about it. What an amazing weekend in general. I love having the Nova games sandwiched by big events like yes. New Year's Eve, Super Bowl weekend, NFC Conference Championship Day. But overall, vibes are still really, really high. And I feel like we're building on some good momentum here. I mean, happy Valentine's Day, Nova Nation. Exactly. Listen to this, and we are feeling the love today. Uh, it may not have been the prettiest thing any of us have ever seen on no. Saturday night. But most importantly, they got a win. And as we'll talk about, they got a win against a pretty decent team, which is really important for what we've seen from this Villanova team. And it's why both Emma and I are feeling pretty good as we go into this Tuesday episode. Yeah, we mentioned on on last Thursday's episode, no team plays Seton Hall and looks good. So if you were expecting this to be a nice, pretty win, I think you had some unrealistic expectations based on how Seton Hall plays. They're not scoring a ton of points. They're not letting up a ton of points usually it was a rock fight and it was interesting to see Villanova win this type of game because I felt like it'd been a while since the defense really just took it possession after possession and and held on for their dear life <laughs> for the the full 40 minutes but yeah two and oh in that home stretch like I said Butler on Tuesday night would be absolutely wonderful to cap off the home three game stretch three and oh with three Quality wins in a conference that still has a lot of shaking up to do, in my opinion, at least at the top. They certainly have a chance to. This was the important one in that three-game stretch because you felt like Villanova should be able to take care of business against DePaul. It was closer than it should have been for most of that game until Nova uh, went away from it uh, towards the end. You know, Butler, though they did just pull off a heck of a win on Friday night at Hinkle uh against Xavier still you know one of the weaker teams in the Big East which at least gives Villanova a chance here and we'll go into a little bit more of a preview later but this game's difficult because Seton Hall you know going into this game they had won seven out of their last nine Emma just mentioned how good they've been defensively uh, this wasn't just a, oh well you know you hope Villanova can win pretty Villanova just winning this game is a really big deal and they were able to do so so while there are some things that didn't go great. I actually have some some stuff that I was really happy with, and I actually showed thought showed some progression from this team, which we haven't been able to say all that often. Um, so pumped to uh, get into it. No, I feel the same way. I, I told Pat before we started, I actually feel like I have a ton to say about this episode after just one game. We don't even have multiple games to go through, but a lot of good stuff here. I'll start it off with this, and then we can get into some of the other stuff that I know we're pumped to talk about. We talked a lot about how this game had the potential to be Villanova's best win of the season. Yep. Because of the score and the ending and just the the way the defense has had to step up, do you still think that is true? So I love where your mind went because that is exactly how I framed my points too, was to go to this. I do think this is Villanova's best win of the season. And I actually think it's moving towards, it's not as debatable as we even would have thought 
because Oklahoma has gone into a real tailspin. Uh, yeah. I believe they're on a five game losing streak or so. They were looking them. good for a minute. They were, they were they, okay for a minute. Yeah. It looked like they were on track to make the tournament. Now I, I do not believe that Oklahoma will be in the tournament. So as we look through Villanova's wins, we know there aren't that many. No, I'm not going to say that many. There aren't any quality wins <laughs> to, to go through it. I mean, your best win really was St. John's twice. And we know how uh, inconsistent the Johnnies can be. Seton Hall currently, you know, going into that Villanova game is right on the bubble and has a potential NCAA bid squad. I'm not sure they're going to have enough firepower to get there, but they are at least in the conversation. And to this point, with Oklahoma in that spin, they hadn't beaten anyone else like that. So I do think that was the best win of the season for them thus far. Uh, And it's also a big East win against a team not named Georgetown, St. John's or DePaul. Don't underestimate how important that is to Kyle Neptune as he looks to gain some momentum here. This is his first real quality win. And we go into, I I mentioned that Seton Hall was hot. You know, they'd won seven of nine defensively. Some of the metrics had, uh, you know, the lineups at Seton Hall go up there over the last six weeks or so as a top five defense in the country. Shaheen has really gotten them to lock in on that side of the ball. And Villanova, no, they they scored 48, uh, 58 points, but it was enough to get it done. So I do think it was their best win of the season. It's the win I feel um, like it is the marquee one though, you know, Mar- Seton Hall marquee is not exactly Marquette Creighton Yukon type level win, but when you're going up against the competition that Villanova had for, for the wins this season, this is your best of the bunch to me. Right. And if you're building on blocks here, this is a nice first step. And then you've got Butler next who would, you know, that, that lower echelon of teams, but it would still nice to have a win against them. Got the biggest takeaway can run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The biggest takeaway for me from the Seton Hall game was that it was confidence that Villanova can finally compete in the Big East. Yes, they've hung around in these games. We can debate that ad nauseum about whether we actually like that or take confidence in that or not. But they finally got that win against a team not in the bottom three, not the bottom feeders of the conference. Because St. Mm-hmm. John's, similar to what you were saying about Oklahoma, has also really just been in a tailspin. Yeah, so those CM games Mike don't Anderson. look Yeah, those games do not look as good anymore. So to finally be a new team, it gives me confidence about this team's longevity in the Big East tournament. It makes me feel like they can hang around. If they can steal one against Providence, Creighton, UConn down the stretch, that would also be huge. I just like the idea that Villanova is starting to separate itself from the bottom four teams in the conference. But I mean, also, I mean, Butler beat Xavier. So you truly never know. Mm-hmm. But I, I at least felt like this was some separation. It, it was that that's why it's key, because it, if we had to continue to go through this regular season and Villanova's wins were the Johnny's twice, the Hoyas twice right. and DePaul. That, not much hope. Yeah, there's not a lot you're going to feel good about going into a, a stretch of four days in Madison Square Garden in the second week of March. So a, a Seton Hall team that is going to be a very difficult out uh, in this Big East tournament coming up uh, is important. As you mentioned, there are bigger fish to fry for Villanova as they go through the end of the season. There are some huge opportunities here. But, you know, as we've talked about a million times, before this game, there was no reason for anyone to believe Villanova could beat those teams because they haven't done so at all this season. Now, as I said, this is not a Marquette. This is not a Creighton, but it at least gives you a little bit of hope to say, okay, if they bring forward some of the things they did against Seton Hall here and amplify that and lock up some other portions, maybe they can pull off one of those ones. Exactly. And this was the first game all season as we, as that game happened on, Saturday, February 11th, 
that Villanova was at 100% health. Excuse you could me, argue, Nana Njoku did not play. I'm sorry, still 99.9%. <laughs> He's played health. 10 minutes this year. The, and to your point is correct. <laughs> it was the, uh, the incomplete grade so far this season when we did those midterm grades. But this was finally the game where you really can't have any more excuses. You can argue about how much Longino would have impacted the win-loss stats in the games that he missed. But Whitmore, Moore, Longino, coming off the bench in that sixth role was really nice. Having him on defense, I loved and felt much more uh, secure having him come in late in the game defensively Mm -hmm. for those opposing sets. That was really nice to see. But as I'm looking at the end of the schedule and I'm seeing those Providence, Xavier, Creighton, Seton Hall, UConn stretch with three of those games on the road, you finally start to see how this team could have looked at the beginning of the season if they had been a full strength. And I'm not downplaying the fact that Moore was there for those three straight losses to Providence, Marquette, and Creighton in that tough stretch. But they're slowly pulling things together. You still, if if you are not a Villanova fan, just following the Big East on Twitter, people are scared to play Villanova. People are scared to play Villanova at full strength specifically. And it does feel like every time this full squad plays together, they grow incrementally. And Seton Hall was a nice way to celebrate that. Longino didn't make a huge impact on the stat sheet, but I think Mm -hmm. it was more the idea of this team is finally putting it all together. And now they really do have a chance to steal some big games. Yeah, I'm not ready to say I'd be afraid to play Villanova yet because I wouldn't either. Shockingly. They've done it once, you know, here against Seton Hall. I, I need to see more down the stretch against those teams that we rattled off that they're going to play before I would have a fear factor because there's just been so much of a resume built up to not go in that direction. Uh, however, I believe there are reasons out there to be optimistic that they can start to put things together a little bit. Once they get past Butler, though, it is murderer's row of Providence, Xavier, Creighton, Seton Hall, and Connecticut. Ken Palm has them losing every single one of those games, and they will not be favored in a single one of those games. So incredibly difficult stretch for the Cats to go in, and it's part of why these three games, DePaul, Seton Hall, and Butler, are so important to the Cats. Uh, You mentioned Jordan Longino. I would love to fully attribute the fact that they only gave up 54 points to the point that Longino came in, and I absolutely think he made an impact, but it also helps that Seton Hall basically shoots beach balls at the rim um, (laughs) from deep. So that helped uh, Villanova's defense look a little better as well, though I do attribute Jordan Longino on the steadiness that he can bring in and kind of the intelligence he has uh, on that side of the ball to part of why Villanova had such a nice game. Building on that, you know, what we saw with Longino back, that rotation is tightening. And, and, yeah. it is, and I, I personally really like how Kyle played things out on Saturday night. Every single starter had 28 minutes or more. Of course, Jordan Longino comes back, logs 15, uh, 14 minutes. 20 minutes for Mark Armstrong was your leader off the bench. And then six minutes for Hawson and Arch. Hawson more of trying to be that three-point specialist. And to Holloway's credit, he did not give Hawson an inch to try and put up a three on Saturday night. And then Arch, you know, six minutes. I I, I think I'm around comfortable with that time because he gives, it's a little bit of a change of pace. It allows for some of the lead guards to rest. Um, and it's, but it's not a, a significant amount of time that can overly impact the game. So I like how Kyle handled the rotation with Longino back. And I'm curious to see how uh, that minute distribution continues to kind of churn out here through the final th- uh, two or three weeks of the season. 
Yeah, you look at that box and see those players. When was the last time we had that type of depth? We were talking about that type of depth. So it's really nice to see. I'm still concerned about the production. I actually remember talking about this at the beginning of the season. We really liked the idea that Neptune would have more options than Wright had last season. We wondered how productive those bodies would actually be. Mm-hmm. We know how dangerous Hawsing can be with a shot. We know what Longino can do. And we know what Armstrong can do. Longino, maybe you give a pass to because it was his first game back. Saint, I was going to say St. Peter's defense. Seton Hall's <laughs> defense on Hawsing was incredible, like you mentioned. Armstrong, it has been quite some time now when he has been able to impact a game. So I'm mm-hmm. starting to get a little bit concerned. I don't think he had a bad game, Armstrong. There were actually times where I thought he handled the ball well and he was able to create and get the ball moving a little bit, but he has to be able to contribute because you love the bench depth. You don't love that there's a big fat zero under those bench points. And, and I think that's three straight games where that's pa- happened. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pat. So I like the idea that He's making these subs. I mentioned Longino on defense, corralling him with an Armstrong on offense or something like that. You love that the starters don't have to play 35-plus minutes a game, but we've seen what 10-plus points from Hazen and Armstrong can do, how they can elevate that team, and we haven't had that in quite some time now. Sure, yeah, two out of three now. Uh, w- without any bench points, the uh, DePaul, uh, they did get some, but you're thinking of the Xavier game, uh, not yes. Xavier, uh, excuse me, the Creighton, Creighton. game because Creighton yeah. doesn't play anyone off the bench. Um, yeah, when we, there was we zero. took that style. <laughs> yes, yes, but for Armstrong, I do think it's fair. That's three straight goose eggs now for for Armstrong and only ten points over his last five games. Clearly, it hasn't affected his minutes all that much, which I think shows a trust for what he's able to do on all sides of the ball, especially defensively. I still really like uh, the intensity that he brings there. But as we look to this team trying to find other ways to to involve guys in there, you know, Armstrong is most certainly one of the ones that you would look at and say he can make an impact off the bench. Mm-hmm. Now, Definitely. With, yeah. Now with Jordan Longino back, remember Longino has not played well, Cam Whitmore and Justin Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore have been in the lineup. So that allows for Longino to really slot in to that six man role. Yes, it's a role that he had a, a little bit earlier in the season, but it was a different lineup without as many offensive options. I think he's the guy that you look at and say, okay, this was game one, you know, trying to get his legs back under him after he hadn't played in what, six weeks or so. Let's see what he can do uh, as he feels a little more comfortable at game speed. And that's the guy that you can really key on. So I think those two, Armstrong and Longino, have the potential to bring it. And then Hawes, and we know, is going to be situationally if if he's got any open space, that ball's going up. Yeah, I would just love to, I know that we keep squawking this, but I'd love to see because that trust is obviously there. Those minutes for Armstrong and Hawes and both are really important to Neptune, it seems. So why not run some sort of sets for them? Why not put Hazen in at those timeouts underneath the basket and get him free? Because instead, it's the Daniels on the on the uh, in the corner trying to, to put up a three, or Dixon below the basket, or Slater below the basket. So, I'd love to see them do a little bit more to force Hazen and Armstrong to get involved. Because again, it just elevates this team to a whole new level. I think part of the reason why I wasn't distraught over it in the Seton Hall game was because Pat. Brandon Slater had his best game of the season. Hmm. I was incredibly impressed. I think I saw a tweet. It might have been from full 40. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was that Slater's turning back into Mr. Everything. This felt like his first 
truly complete game in quite some time. Again, the numbers don't pop off the page. Yep. Eight points for him, 29 minutes. He was efficient around the basket. He only had five rebounds, though, and those three steals, which were really nice. But it was that gritty, scrappy type of basketball that we've watched Slater play for so long and has seemed to disappear over the last few games. He had a really tough defensive assignment against Casey and Defu, who I think is one of the most versatile, dangerous really players player. in the yeah. Big East. And, really and the fact that they were able to knock him out of the game with nearly five minutes left was pretty incredible because of foul trouble. But Slater was able to drive to the basket strong. He was really active around the rim, incredibly efficient on defense. It was just nice to see all of that come together and you see how good this rotation can be when he's that type of player. Uh, Richmond and Defo and Samuel provide a lot of issues kind of oh, with yeah. the size and versatility from, from those three. And Slater uh, had to deal with a lot of them uh, or basically all of them at, at different times throughout that game. Offensively, I, I like that he attacked the rim a, a little bit more. It, as you said, it wasn't a huge volume game, but that's fine. I Now with these guys coming back, they don't need Brandon Slater as much on the offensive side. Earlier in the year, you remember, I was really harping on it because they desperately needed him when they were missing guys like Whitmore and like Moore. But now he can kind of settle back into that defensive role. And I thought he was everywhere. He he pushed the ball very well. He had some really good anticipation. He was strong in the low post. That That's his him being more consistent for Villanova and then potentially being able to uh, be thrown into a role that is a little more comfortable for him. You can try and see where this team can grow with that. Yeah. So this is where I have a little bit of a hard time. Putting this into words, I should say. When you think about that, and and then what you just said, I think perfectly sums it up. Because there have been so many different iterations of this team, it really shouldn't be surprising that guys have struggled so much because every game, it feels like they have to take on a different role. Like you said, at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the season, Slater was counted upon to drop in at least 10 a game. Because otherwise, that offense was not surpassing 70 points. Then it turned into more of a defensive role when Whitmore came back. Focus there. Now he's back to that ancillary score because you have the Whitmores and the and the Moores and the Daniels playing and the Dixons obviously playing really well offensively. And I think that summary can apply to a lot of different guys. Longino, Daniels, and then as Moore is coming back into the fold too. So That's where I I go down these rabbit holes. You and I both say that we don't still have super high expectations, but I can understand why teams, opposing teams, are scared to play Villanova because every game that they play with more healthy players is them just finding their groove. I do think it's going to be too little too late because you're also playing some super high caliber competition down the stretch and in the Big East tournament. But it's not shocking that it's taken – the team so long to put everything together because it's hard to have to do different things every single game. Slater thrives in that type of role where he doesn't have to score, where he doesn't have to play the primary defender and get that stop at the last second. Now it seems like there are more options to cover weaknesses and those weaknesses were just glaring Mm. lights that the opposing teams could take advantage of at the beginning of the season. Just need to see it more. 
that yeah. that that's what it comes down to is that you're you're not going to hear from me that I I'm you know all in and I think they can go on a run in the Big East tournament after everything you've heard me say uh you know for the last six weeks or so uh, of this season but show me more and and, and I can start to think about it uh, a little bit differently definitely mm-hmm. another I give positive you some reasons why I'll go for it yeah no to, to take that mark take that mark because I'm gonna go someplace else so you can finish up that point no I was gonna go a different place too okay. I'll say another positive here. Yeah. Second time in last three games that Dixon has taken over offensively. Oh, that's where I was going to go anyway. It had to be. No, let's do it. It had to be. I mean, how many times have we seen it now against Seton Hall, against Creighton and Kalkbrenner? It seems like Dixon does best when the opposing defense is harder to play against. Seton Hall is not an easy defense to go up and post down low. Ryan Kalkbrenner is not an easy guy to go up against. Adama Snoka, you can just go down the list of bigs that Dixon has just pwned offensively. And I thought he did it again. Villanova's offense looks so much better when they are able to feed Dixon down low and he can go up with that left and just just wreck defenses. And it's nice to see this becoming a little bit of a tradition over the last few days. Yeah, let, let's do this because there have been multiple times this year where I have really questioned kind of the coaching game plan of, of how this team attacks things on offense. And they started off that way again. They went one for six from three during yeah. the first 10 minutes of this game. I mean, listen, this game was three, three through the first six and a half minutes. I, my God, what a disaster. <laughs> but after that, so the final 30 minutes of the game, they took nine threes in total and they made five of them there. That is a type of self-awareness we have not seen from this team. And that is a type of game plan adjustment mid-game that we have not seen from this team. You're looking for context. Uh, as I said, they, they finished with 15 threes against Seton Hall. They took 32 against DePaul and 25 against Creighton. So to it, it works perfectly, which you just said, because how does this happen? The game was run by Eric Dixon. You know, he had 18 field goal attempts for Eric, who touched the ball early and often. They did a very nice job about getting Eric the ball around the rim or around the elbow rather than on the perimeter. And what that does, it just sets Eric up so much better for his game because where he struggles is when he gets thrown out on the perimeter and then it. it it leads to, you know, there's more variable when you're out there for him to try and back all the way in. There's more of an, an opportunity for a team to bring a double team and, and swat that ball away by getting Dixon the ball deeper in the paint or on the elbow where he feels comfortable going in with that hook. He was able to go into his post moves and again, hit it early and often. He struggled a little bit early. He missed a ton of his early field goals, but after that, he really locked it down. And we even saw Eric Dixon run some pick and roll which never, ever happens. It is always pick and pop with Dixon, where he just kind of stands out by the three-point line. But he certainly was going towards the rim after that. I I love that. It's what we've been calling for all season, is Eric Dixon is your most talented offensive player. Get the ball in his hands. Run the game through Eric Dixon. And they did it on Saturday night. Let's keep doing that. And then I can start to believe in this Villanova offense a little bit more. Now, they scored 58 points. So it wasn't exactly beautiful. But at least the game plan made more sense for what this team is. And I do feel really good about that. He played down the stretch as well, which is something that we've been concerned Mm -hmm. about in the past too. Every single thing you brought up is something that I want to go down a separate path. But I'll start with the pick and roll and him getting the ball down low because there were there were points in this game where I was feeling concerned about Villanova guards 
driving to the basket, dribbling around the hoop. And then the other guys weren't getting themselves open to shoot around the three-point line. That's been Villanova's game plan all season long. And then they missed those threes. Mm -hmm. And that's been the issue, the, the personnel issue. Where I started to feel hopeful, though, was that this team is getting so much better at cutting to the basket. Yes. And the passers finding those cutters. It happened with War- Moore and Whitmore a few times. It happened with Dixon down low. I think his passing is incredibly underrated, and we could talk about it truly every episode because of how versatile he is with the basketball in his hands. But it is so great to see that happen. I am not confident that the team will build upon this. <laughs> they haven't shown you a shown, reason to. Yep. Exactly. They've shown no reason, especially because of those 32 attempts against DePaul. But it's nice to see against a really strong defense again, mm-hmm. Neptune make those in-game adjustments to yep. see that the three-point shooting isn't working. Dixon is able to have his way down low. And they just went to it every single time. And that's what's going to work because he is so efficient around the rim. And even the other guys, I have the box right in front of me. Four of Whitmore's seven field goals were from two. Six of Slater's seven field goals were from two. If you see these guys continue on this trend, I think you're going to see better scoring outputs and better scoring percentages because it's not just the predictable 2D type offense where they're just chucking up contested threes late in the shot clock trying to get things going. This team is too talented, fully healthy, to let that be the standard, they have to push the envelope a little bit and going down low is the way to do that. Yeah. And again, we're not saying that Villanova was 2018 Villanova out there. They scored 58 no. points, you know, it, it, but it's more of an acknowledgement that they shifted their philosophy to fit what this roster does better. You know, Eric Dixon had a 37% usage rate. That was the highest on the team. It was 5% more than Caleb Daniels. It was 20% more than Justin Moore. I Listen, in most games, I'm going to want Justin Moore to be really high up there. But as we know, Moore really struggled, only had one point uh, on the night there. So I love the ball in Dixon's hands. And to your point on on the cutting, I, I don't know if it's just a product of Jay Wright and Jalen Brunson were there on Wednesday night. So Villanova's like, OK, <laughs> let's start to revert a little bit here. But from the get go, Justin Moore was backing down Seton Hall guards and trying to find cutters. And, and who this benefits the most is Cam Whitmore. Because Whitmore is then either a able to slash to the rim where he can use all of that physicality and all of that athleticism or B, it gives him an opportunity to try and give him some additional space around the three point line as a catch and shoot guy, which I think Whitmore still fits that build a little bit better than when he holds on the ball and tries to create his own shot from three there. So those two offensive tweaks that Villanova made is what I feel best about coming out of this game. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think we are still very comfortable with Whitmore being either A or B. Either of those two options are perfectly fine for us. It's so nice to see only those 15 three-point attempts. I would just love to see a progression now where the three-point attempts stay low. And it's not just Dixon going off. And I felt like the Seton Hall game was the perfect microcosm for that. Because you saw Slater have eight points. You saw Whitmore scoring in the paint. Just keep that up don't try and change because of what the defense gives you just know that you have the guard talent now to really make a lot of baskets across the floor and Daniels also had a really good game so when all those things are clicking this offense despite only scoring 58 points 
I think looks a lot better than we've seen throughout this season. Uh, congrats to Caleb Daniels as well, crossing a thousand points in his Villanova career. Pretty cool. Um, did they do a little moment there? Uh, they they did mention it uh, at okay. one of the TV timeouts that he had passed a thousand points, but they did not stop the game like LeBron James, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> that that would have been great. Um, though this ceremony probably would have been less staged than that one. But yeah. uh, I'll move on, and we don't need to touch on that anymore. <laughs> Um, I thought Seton Hall's offense more so at the beginning of the game. Should we just not even talk about the final two minutes, Pat? We good doing that? I I feel uh, I've got two <laughs> ways of going at it for it. I, I really do. Because um, I look at this and I actually take some positives from how what we saw. Uh, it was a mess of a start. Villanova weathers that storm, goes on and closes out the first half very well and goes into a and goes into halftime with a healthy lead. They come out, you know, in the second half, build on it. I believe they get it to like 37-23 and then give, uh, give up a 13-1 run and still, again, regroup and take the lead and, and extend this lead further. <clears throat> but, of course, towards the end of the game, you know, 53-39 is your score with three minutes left and they finish with a four-point win. A part of me says, hey, they finished the job. And that is not something that they have been in position to do or we've seen them do too often this year. And I take that as a plus. And with the other adversity they went through in this game, I, I think Villanova attitude came through there and I will happily harp on that. But you cannot continue to give Seton Hall wide open threes uh, mm -hmm. when they are trying to cut a deficit for a team that is not comfortable playing like that. Uh, and Villanova just gave it straight to them. Uh, the turn, there were some turnovers late. They missed free throws late. No, it was not. It was not pretty down the stretch here, but I'm still going to give them attitude points for all the things they had to go through in that game. They haven't given themselves that much offensive leeway no. to be in that position no, 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 at no. all this season. So it is a first check mark in that tally because there's been a lot of other games where if they let an offense score those three threes down the stretch, they would have lost. They had enough offense built up. They had enough of a lead going in that, yes, it was disgusting to see, but Dawes, Odukale, and none of those guys had made a basket literally all game. So I do also lean towards giving them a little bit of credit. It was still not pretty to watch, but I was laughing a little bit throughout the game because it felt like, especially at the beginning, Seton Hall's offense looked like Villanova's on its worst day. It they was were so just offensive. The start of this game was so offensive. Oh my God. It was so bad. There were just stagnant passes along the three-point line. No effort to get the ball down low. And we mentioned how much Indefu can do. Kadari Richmond as well. There were four shots at the end of the shot clock. The broadcasters were like, well, Shaheen Callaway keeps preaching that they can get that type of shot whenever they want. Yeah. They might as well just start at the start of the shot clock and throw that up if that's going to be the game plan after taking <laughs> 25 seconds off the clock. So I like that crew, by the way. Spinarco and uh, Dave Sims, honest, who's phenomenal for the Mariners play-by-play. -play. I can't – it's hard for me to uh, listen to him and not think of Baseball. the drought is over call. Yeah, yeah exactly, because he's, he's so, so good at good. his job. Yeah, I, I, I hope we see more of that crew because I, I yeah. do really like that one. I was going to mention, too, Jim Spinarco has really been growing on me. I think he's actually really, he's really good in yeah. yeah, he is a very but solid color analyst. So I like that. It was nice I'll, I'll give see, them their props. No, I feel the same way. It was nice to see Villanova's offense look different than that because I was getting a heck of a lot of flashbacks from a bunch of games where Villanova was just a five out passing along, trying to create 
some sort of distance to get a shot up and yeah it didn't work for seton hall as the as the score panned out it the thing is i think seton hall did a lot of things well in setup and game plan wise like that when they were able to turn the ball villanova over they got in transition they had decent shots they were able to get to the rim they had some open threes just the the quality and the execution wasn't there which if you're a Hall fan, I, I think that still makes you feel good about where Shaheen can bring that team because he just needs to keep bringing in more of his guys and keep developing some of his players because I do think their heads were in the right place. As I said, they, the issue is they just they shoot beach balls, and that's a, mm-hmm. that's a big problem. Yeah, and this was, oh my God, a game of runs. It felt like every time Villanova was on a hot stretch, Seton Hall would follow it up a few minutes later, and that's why those leads ballooned up to 13, 14 points for Nova. And then just feels like just as quickly dropped down to, to three or five and Seton Hall was never really out of this game. I did feel like when Villanova was going through its scoring droughts, it was the same old crap. It was just <laughs> no ball handlers on the court with more. So this was interesting about Justin Moore as we transitioned towards him a little bit. One point, obviously his worst offensive performance so far with him struggling. I think it actually brings up a lot more weaknesses than when he's not. Because when he was struggling, there was also that stretch when Daniels was out when he got his third foul. There's no ball handlers on the court. Armstrong was off shooting. Nobody else could make anything happen. And that was when they decided to go away from Dixon down low. So that's when it feels like you're just tumbling down the hill and there's no stopping. The guys are sloppier. They turn the ball over. They don't have good sets. That's why no matter how bad Justin Moore plays offensively, the offense is just neater when he's there because he's so good at facilitating the offense. He's the key. He's just, he's yeah. such a difference maker. And, and Saturday night was not his night. That, that's why the ball was in Caleb Daniels hands a lot while he was on the floor. And then, as you mentioned, uh, you know, did struggle with a, a bit of that foul trouble there. And I, I think that's a big part of why Armstrong did play those 20 minutes as well. Uh, was that more wasn't able to get in, into a rhythm, but even with that, we know he still impacts the game defensively. Uh, he was the leading rebounder for Villanova uh, on Saturday night. It was a struggle for, for him, but, as we know, we've seen the flashes of Justin through the first couple games of here he comes. This, of course, was a bit step back, but we'll see where he is on Tuesday night. Yeah, and I, to his credit, I didn't watch this game as closely as I would have liked live. Looked at the box score, saw that one point, and was absolutely floored. Mm-hmm. So there's no such thing as a bad game for Justin Moore because he impacts the game in so many other ways. I have one more point, and it's actually about coaching game planning, and I want to give Neptune his props here and the entire coaching staff. Seton Hall is one of the best teams in the country at getting their points from the free throw line. So this point is actually a little bit complicated because it's weird. They're not a necessarily great free throw shooting team Mm -hmm. in terms of percentage wise, but they get to the line a ton of times. And the broadcast team was talking about this over and over and over. Villanova limited Seton Hall to seven free throw attempts. Yeah. That is unbelievable for a team that absolutely must get to the free throw line in order to win. Villanova did not let them do that. And that was their game plan from the set. Yet, Yes, the refs let them play for sure, and Slater especially, but they went through a significant portion of the first half without having a single foul. So I just thought it was perfectly executed, taking away one of Seton Hall's biggest strengths and just playing physical, solid, no foul defense. I thought that was Amazing to watch, honestly. 
Yeah, when you're as bad a free throw shooting team as they are, and they certainly are, they're over 300th in the country, it's all about a volume game. Just get to the line and, you know, law of averages say you'll make at least some of them, I, I and guess. And they do. They and they do, do. Yeah. A- absolutely. So by by limiting that, it's the same thing with Villanova on the opposite end, where we want the Cats to be able to get to the line because they hit almost yes. all of them, though that was not the case on Saturday night. It was an ugly free throw shooting night for the Cats. So it's an interesting dynamic between those two. Yeah, I feel the same way. So I, I felt positive after this game. Again, it's just another <laughs> – we're looking towards brighter futures, but you got to get this these wins and, and deal with them in the moment as they happen. And I thought that's exactly what Nova did. You got any more thoughts there? Just spreading the love on this Valentine's Day. It was a, it's a very important win for, for Villanova on Saturday night. There are, there are still warts. I still do not fully believe in this team, but they are at least making progress. And I think that's yeah. what you're asking for right now. Yeah, and talking about making progress, I think a beatdown of Butler would go a long way for a lot of people, <laughs> including the players on the court. Well, beatdowns. I, think... I don't know if we're there. I don't know if yeah, we're we, there we to give out beatdowns. But we are certainly not forgetting the 79 to 71 loss at Hinkle no. a few weeks ago. Just a complete defensive meltdown for Villanova. I remember you saying this in the moment that you were really sick of players having career games against Villanova. This was yes. one of those. Yes, it was. Simas Koshis, 28 points. Who I do really like, by the way. Good player. Three. Good player. He is, but we don't need to see him drop 28 points. We just yeah. don't need to see that. I'm hopeful that with more in Longino back, Butler, I actually, I, I thought about this. I do think Villanova's loss to Butler was the worst conference loss of the season. You agree Over there? The no Manny Bates. I do not. I, the, the you Paul thought the game, DePaul worse was DePaul loss was worse. I I feel like heart palpitations when I think of that DePaul game. Um, <laughs> so, but but Butler is is up there with it. But DePaul with the 15 year history that went into yeah, it and all of that, true. I still I still give DePaul the the nod there. But because this is this is Hinkle, like as we know, Villanova yes. had some had some rough times in Hinkle over the last couple of years. So as but frustrating as worse. it was. Ooh, Butler's a worse team. They're not DePaul. good. Well, both of them are not yeah. good. We'll go with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Though, but yeah, but no, they just beat Xavier. I was just going to say they're a little hot. Butler is a little hot. They've got a two-game winning streak. Just uh, beat Xavier 69-67. I actually think that was one of the best Big East games I've watched this season. It was I fun. thought Creighton yeah. Villanova was unbelievable. But 69-67 with a late goaltending call Wasn't to seal the win for Butler. Manny Bates was phenomenal. They've got a ton. They had a ton of guys. They they actually uh, Xavier nearly won this game, and they were down at least double digits. I think it was like close to fifteen at one point in the second half. So Butler is definitely riding on a little bit of momentum here. But I am confident, very confident, Pat, that Villanova will look better defensively than they did at Hinkle. Oh, you have to hope so. Um, but yeah. as you said, you know, of course they're they're hot after that Xavier win, but. You take that away. They beat St. John's, who is just in a tailspin right now. And before that, they had lost seven out of eight games. So I, at, Butler is not a good basketball team, though they, no. they did tap into more of that Hinkle magic on Friday night. Um, they haven't come close to the 79 points they scored against Villanova since that game, which is part of why that game was so mind-numbing. Um, you know, for Villanova, of course, you now have Justin Moore and Jordan Longino back for this rematch, which is unbelievably important uh we look to the the last time out 
I would love for Villanova to actually guard Seamus Lukosius uh, and not allow him to kill you from three. And then I think it'll be really important for Nova to play D without fouling. Um, this is not a super talented offensive team in Butler, but that game on that Friday night in Hinkle, the Bulldogs were able to score 18 times from the charity stripe. And that's just too many free points for a team that struggles to get into any sort of offensive rhythm there. So got to cut down on that. Uh, the issue is that Manny Bates is going to be yeah. back and he did not play in that Friday night. Manny Bates is incredibly long, very difficult, a great defender. Uh, and you, one of the best shot blockers in the conference and scored 19 uh, against Xavier. So he is a very difficult draw. Otherwise, you have to feel that that Nova should be able to tap into some of that talent. See, that's why I'm getting the heart palpitations again, just thinking about that loss without many Bates. I get, I get Hinkle, it. But I get it. Yeah. Man, Butler's bad. They have just <laughs> been absolutely demolished by every team in the conference. You say man, Butler's bad, but they have a better record than Villanova. <laughs> We're not going there. I okay. I'm sorry. That there were times where I felt like Dixon, I'm sorry, Samuel dominated Dixon. So I am I am a little worried still about Dixon's ability to hold up issue. on yep. defense. Yep. Yeah. I think Slater is going to draw a lot of the Bates issue. And it's just going to come down to hopefully Villanova's offense looks better than it did. Again, again, 71 points. I don't think you consider a horrible output, especially on the road in Hinkle. It was just the defensive meltdown, mm-hmm. the fact that they couldn't get anything going when they needed a basket. Seton Hall was the perfect game to have before this type of game because now you know how well going down to Dixon works. And you just hope to ride on that momentum because, yes, you need to play this game. Yes, you need to win this game. But the games coming up are so much more important. They are. And Bates is the big equalizer here because we just talked about how great it was that Dixon ran this team. You know, does Neptune then stick to that game plan knowing that Bates is one of the elite interior defenders and say, no, I'm still giving it to my guy down low and we're going to look for cutters and we're going to get Eric the ball and give him a chance to go into his post moves. That is what I am most curious about going into Tuesday night, or do they revert more to what we've seen uh, through most of the season? I hope he still sticks with it, even as good as Bates is, because if they get Bates in foul trouble, interesting enough here, Thad Mata only played six guys against Xavier, including two of his starters playing 40 minutes. He does not want to tap into that bench at all. So, you know, you're able to get a guy like a Manny Bates in a foul trouble, like a Jaden Taylor, uh, you can really throw Butler off. Yeah, Chuck Harris has been hurt for a while, which yeah, has he really been hurting one. them. Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah. I like Chuck Harris. Um, and then the last thing for Butler, they're 10-4 and four at Hinkle. They are 3-9 and nine away from it. So, yeah. And you've got That's them huge. away from it. So yeah. you, you got to take care of business here. Going back to your, your point about Dixon and, and the trust there against a guy like Bates. I wonder how much Moore's input is going into the game plan here, especially coming off of the game that he did. I wonder if there is a open line of communication based on how he is feeling. If Neptune is like, okay, we're going to run the offense around more because he feels good versus we're not going to do that because we know that he still isn't at maybe even 85%. You think there's anything to that or they just know that they can ride with Dixon? It's a good question. Uh, I think this was more that they knew they could exploit Seton Hall a little better down low with with how good they are uh, as a perimeter defensive team. And Justin was struggling, so it really made sense. 
there's a chance that more, you know, is definitely still dealing with, with some sort of, you know, soreness or so. Cause of, of course, with how big of an injury this is, but when it's that big of an injury, I don't think you let a guy go out there unless he's a hundred percent. So I, I, I still feel that it's more of a, a game plan uh, or a game by game thing, but I want the ball, the ball in Justin Moore's hands to initiate yeah. the offense as many times as possible throughout a game. Same way, same way. And it's nice to see Dixon and Slater and Whitmore play well, but if you're going to beat some of these teams, it's going to be because more steps up offensively. 100%. Yeah. I said all I needed to say. I, I'm feeling good still. Uh, Maddie Seacrest dropped 50 and points. And that is exactly where I would say we have not said weekend. all we need to say <laughs> until we go through this. Um, All-time Big East leading scorer. I mean, it, it, every single episode, we talk about a different record that she's broken. She has now catapulted herself not only into uh, player of the year conversation for this year, we're talking one of the best players in Big East history. And now she has finally cemented herself in that uh, role there. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm so excited for UConn Villanova this weekend too. Oh yeah, 100%. So Saturday was a huge one because Seton Hall had two losses to Villanova, which always makes me feel really good because the two Big East teams that I love beating the most and hate losing to the most are UConn and Seton Hall. So love the double dip there. As you said, you know, it's a program record with those 50 points. She did so on 20 of 26 shooting. Only six of her 50 points came from the free throw line. So this is no James Harden, Joel Embiid stat padding you saw. No, no, no. What a roast. <laughs> Please, you know, I'll take my Philly shots wherever I can. Uh, go Chiefs, by the way. Um, you know, Seagrass was just on fire from the field. Uh, who does she eclipse? Of course, you already know who she eclipsed. Shelly Pennefather. Again, another record broken by Maddie, uh, who had 44 points, which was the Villanova program record going into that game. You mentioned it. She's now the all-time leading scorer in Big East Conference history with over 1,500 points, 1,550 to be exact. And that 50-point game is also a new Big East record for most points in a game. The former record was 43 points. As a team, you know, this Villanova women's team is really firing on all cylinders right now. They are 22-4 and on the season, 13-2 and in conference play. Um and as you said, I, I believe they have a game midweek here, and I, I should have had it up in front of me, uh, but it's St. John's uh, on the road. I can't remember if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. And then Saturday, they host the UConn Huskies at the Finneran Pavilion. Nova Nation, if you are around, it is a 2.30 game. Go to that game to support the women's team. I am going. I cannot wait to be there. Uh, I'm going to record the men's game because I'll probably miss uh, the first part of that and I'll watch that on delay since that's a 4.30 game, but it's a huge Saturday of Villanova hoops and these ladies deserve all the support they can get. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on FS1 too, which makes me really excited. It's going to be great. It, it's yeah. uh, it's Nova UConn at, at the Pavilion. Um, so oh, let's awesome. let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm jealous you'll be there. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that the, the student section will be pretty lively. I feel like they've gotten a ton of of fan support lately the projections came out for the ncaa tournament too and they're looking like a three or four seed the villanova it's a big women deal. it's a yeah, if you have huge. not watched them this is a big deal um so yeah. yeah very very cool uh last news and notes kim whitmore was named biggie's freshman of the week so of course nice always love to see that and two more villanova wildcats were traded since the last time we podcasted <laughs> sadiq bay has headed to atlanta and oh mikhail bridges was traded for a guy named kevin durant it's like there's something in the water. People are finally starting to get it, Pat. People I, are finally starting to get it. To have 
now Josh, Jalen, and Mikhail all in New York with two of them on the Knicks and, and one on the Nets is awesome. Uh, I just Pretty my sweet. heart my heart is still absolutely broken for Arch, uh, who went that trade uh, to to Portland. But really it's cool, such a bummer. Yeah, really cool to see Josh play well in his first game for the Knicks. Uh, it seems like Knicks fans are already pretty happy with the Brunson Hart connection, and uh, hopefully, it just continues to grow there. Yeah, how can you not be that? Kevin Durant trade was wild too. I woke up to that, couldn't believe the package that brought back with them. But the Nets just got significantly better defensively because of Bridges, so that's pretty cool. But the most important news and note of the week is that as you are listening to this episode. It is Pat Sang's birthday. Oh, no, you're not supposed to tell them that. I have to. I have to. I feel like every every single time we've recorded on one of our birthdays, we've always forgotten Pat. So first time, everybody wish Pat a happy birthday. He's off for the day, which we love. Take some time to yourself. It's just great. I'm happy. Thank you. Yeah. So th- as you listen to this, it, it is my birthday. So a great birthday present. Uh, please rate the show um, on <laughs> iTunes. Uh, yes, we sub- would love that. Yeah, subscribe and uh, follow the show on Twitter as we continue our race for a thousand. <laughs> yeah. No, we've got we've got a big stretch coming up Tuesdays and Saturdays game times for the rest of the season. So buckle up. Make sure you're subscribed. Recommend us to other people if they're Villanova fans. We're really excited for this for this final stretch of play here. And I got my Wednesday night tickets for the big East tournament, Pat. Oh, heck yeah. That's all. Awesome. Let's do it. Yeah, no, I will be there hopefully Thursday, Friday ish. Um, but Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a big week. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. Um, it's going to be a big week. Um, and, uh, you know, the little Villanova game on Tuesday night, Valentine's Day night, I will be in the building as well, uh, again, nice. to keep this stretch going of Villanova games. Cause what else would I do? Right. So let's do it. Um, gotta yeah. love it. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Follow the show on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Hope everyone is riding high after that Seton Hall game. We'll see if the Cats can get a win on Tuesday night at Nova Nation. That's a wrap.